you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What these young bloods have to understand that this game has always been and will always be about buckets. Just attack the basket. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore, and I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined as I am every Monday by Albert Wynn, aka the Analytics Capper. You can find him on Twitter and in the Action Network app at Analytics Capper. Albert, how was your weekend? Weekend was great, man. Spent a lot of family time. It's Christmas season, so we had a ton of birthday parties and things like that. But it's been great. And then from a from a sports perspective, I mean, the NFL and the World Cup was insane yesterday. So it's been amazing been absolutely wild this is your monday recap episode brought to you by FanDuel sportsbook we're going to be breaking down a couple of things in this, in this episode we're going to talk about how the injuries have shaped the mvp we're going to go over the most important covers of the weekend and as always we'll tell you who we bet right now for the awards everything we talk about today can be found in the award-winning action network app best way for you to track your picks get up to the second information where the bets and money are coming in and find all sorts of cool content, as well as our daily show, Green Dot Daily, which gets your betting agenda set for the day. All right, Albert, let's go ahead and start here, because the MVP race is going through a bit of an upheaval. We'll talk about the risers in a minute, but for right now, we've got to talk about how injuries have shaped this award over the last couple of days. Steph Curry is going to be out weeks, not months, due to a shoulder injury, a subfluximization or some sort of terminology in his shoulder uh, luckily, he is going to avoid surgery, does not require surgery on it, will be returning in here in a few weeks. Uh, the range of return dates is pretty wide. This could be a month. This could be six weeks. This could be eight weeks. Uh, if it's until February 20th, it would be uh, six weeks would be about 20 games. And that knocks him below 60 games played for the season. Uh, Bill Walton, when he won MVP, played just 58 games. As far as an 82-game season, that's the lowest that we've had. Everyone else has been above 70. So there has been this kind of standard set. So obviously, Curry's value in the market is completely, like the number is completely plummeted because the idea is that he won't be able to play in enough games. Um, We kind of reacted a little bit to this on Friday, but we didn't have the actual diagnosis um, when, when I spoke about it with Brandon. My position on it is... If Curry heals faster than expected and he returns in like 
two weeks, you're still going to get a very long number on stuff and you would be okay. It's unlikely that happens. If we get to a point where he can't play more than 65, if he played in all of the remaining games, which he won't, uh, then the bet's dead. There's just no way for him to win if he plays in less than 65 games. So you kind of got to do the math in your head of how many games are left when he returns. And if there's more than 65 games that he can play in at the end of the season, maybe worth a bet then based off of how valuable he was and what I thought, how good I thought his case was uh, before the injury. But with where it's at right now, you absolutely cannot bet it given that the timeline is undetermined. Yeah, you not only can you not bet it, Matt, but although Stephen Curry is one of the greatest players ever, by far the greatest shooter ever, we are on in the assumption that even if he comes back, he's going to be 100% Steph Curry. That's no, uh, that's no guarantee either, right? Because this is an injury to his shoulder. Although it's not his shooting arm, it's still going to affect his shot. It's still going to hurt when he drives into the lane and he gets knocked out. So um i yeah i agree with you i don't think there's any value here even if he were to get back in two to three weeks instead of four weeks um it's a shame right but i think it does allow us to find other spots within the market Uh, similar wavelength anthony davis go again it's not his fault it's just what it is and boy did my mentions there were just the victory lapping from Lakers fans was crazy there for a while, like just insane. And I'm, I'll just be very clear here. I'm not going to celebrate a player getting injured. Not going to do it. I'm not going to do that at all. It sucks. that Anthony Davis is in pain. It sucks. that Anthony Davis can't play, but he's out a month with a foot injury. This is what we know. Like we, we have a, a large sample of seasons with AD. And this is why, to me, Albert, this bet was always ridiculous and stupid. You were buying high. Yeah. Like you were buying at the very highest price point that you could on AD with the idea of like, well, if he stays healthy, what what would make you think that? Like, I just, the idea was like, well, okay, but injuries are kind of unknown. I, I agree with you, except for the fact that with Davis, it wasn't like one thing he had to get over. It's always something different. It's always something different. And that's, again, not Davis's fault. You can't blame players for injury. But I never understood this push for Davis, like the idea that Davis was bettable for MVP. The Lakers aren't going to be good enough, first off. Davis wasn't going to continue to shoot like he was, second off. And now we have him injured. And whenever he returns from injury, sometimes he comes back better because he's rested. And sometimes he comes back worse. Uh, this bet to me was always ludicrous, and I'm not sure why everyone got so ramped up over it. Yeah, I would never cheer for anybody's injury, even on players or teams that I don't like personally. But um, you're right. Anthony Davis not only has a long history of injuries throughout his career, um, but he's getting up there in age, right? You can't expect someone to play 82 games who hasn't shown that type of history in the past. With that being said, I think this gives his teammate, LeBron James, not MVP noise, Matt, but I think it gives them a, if he stays healthy and that's a big, if as well, he's turning 38 in a week or so. Um, but it gives him some, um, some ammo to potentially make a first or second team at all NBA, which, you yeah. know, at age yeah. 38 would be ludicrous. So I, I think as we kind of look at these, these injury situations, it's a reminder that especially like, this is a good one for me to remember that as you build these positions, you're going to ha- 
you have to understand that as you build positions across the season, if you're not just like, I'm going to bet like twice or once, I'm going to have my guy. If you're going to build these positions across the season, you have to accept that there are going to be times when you're going to have to leverage back the other way and lose a little bit of ROI to cover for it. Cause like I've been betting Steph weekly. I've been like, Nope. (laughs) I think the Warriors are going to be fine. The starting lineup has been awesome. Steph's numbers are incredible. And now like I got to, I have to manage those returns uh, in the shifting marketplace. So it's a reminder that you are going to have to deal with those kind of swings. And that's, you know, part of betting and I, you know, game by game, you can have guys get hurt, whatever, but that's a, a reminder as you build positions that you will have liabilities that are caused not by performance, but instead by injuries. And Matt, one last point is, especially in the MVP conversation, right? Because we already have a set criteria standard um, for the most part, even though it's unwritten, you have to play a lot of the games. Your team has to be a winning team and you have to have absurd numbers. So it's a great reminder that, you know, especially when it comes to MVP discussion, it's a marathon. It's an 82 game marathon and it's not a sprint. So you definitely want to look at players that can last the full season. Brandon Anderson would like me to, to note that this is why in the MVP model that he's built, you have to bet on young players because the old guys get hurt. He wants mm. me to go ahead and mention that. Speaking of Brandon, is I have to do a whole lot of Mia Culpas for stuff I've talked about with Brandon <laughs> today. We'll go to most important covers, and we'll start with the Denver Nuggets, who got a win over the mighty Charlotte Hornets on Sunday night. But Nikola Jokic's performance was no less impressive. 40 points, 27 rebounds, 10 assists. Those numbers have not been produced hey. since Wilt Chamberlain in 1968. Bonkers, batshit, guano, insane numbers from joker just and then i was in the building it was an incredible performance he grabbed nine boards early and you were like oh man this is gonna be a night and then he went to, he just went to town he had two assists at halftime yeah so he had eight assists in the second half he was a plus 20 in a game that they won by four which shows you how bad the bench is uh and we've seen his odds cut in half if you follow me in the action network app look so i gotta go back I've been pushing back on Brandon every time he's brought up Joker because I'm just like, no one's won it three times since 8086. No one has won it. Not Michael Jordan, not LeBron James, not Kobe Bryant. No one has won it since 86 with Bird winning three times. I looked at the numbers starting on Friday for a column that's out on Action Network right now. And at the time, Joker was, I think, third in EPM, which I've said that stat a million times. Six of the last nine winners are number one in EPM. Every winner in the last nine seasons has been top five. It is a highly correlative stat to whatever it is that the voters look for. EPM captures it as well as any metric that I've found. Yeah. He's now tied for number one after last night's performance with Luka Doncic. Um, The box score stuff is amazing, but it's still just like it's he's basically averaging a 25 point triple double. That's essentially what he's averaging. The efficiency is what knocks him so high up here and how much his team wins with him on the court. But those numbers are not really going to compare to even Tatum, much less Luka Giannis, that tier of guys. But we have seen the odds. I did bet Nikola based off of where I saw the value. And I did that before Sunday night's performance. Like I wish he hadn't had Sunday night's performance. Cause then I could come on here and be like, Hey, okay, now's <laughs> the time to buy in on, 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 on Joker, all the numbers, like, yes, th- because the other thing here Albert, uh, that I've really got to is, what I, here's what I didn't consider. What if nobody else has a better candidate? Like, what if all of the good candidates drop out? Yep. Because we've got, 
Luca's team is on pace for sub 47 wins. Granted, if you look at the Nuggets point differential, they're actually on pace for 45. So they have a home schedule coming up, but it's tougher opponents. We'll see how they do this week. This thing may be, it may be old grand opening, grand closing for Jokic's MVP candidacy. But like, we'll talk about the Celtics in a minute. They're regressing. Luke is not good enough. The Bucks honestly are much worse than their record indicates. And Giannis's numbers are not great. So mm-hmm. I'm just kind of wondering like Joker at plus 900 may still be great value simply based off of, he may be the last man standing this season once again. That's the big point right there, the last man standing, because we just mentioned it, right? The MVP race is an 82-game marathon. You have to play basically 70 of them, and your team has to be winning. The Nuggets are, I think, one game out of first place, Matt. I think you can fact-check me on that. Um, But whether he wins or not, let's give Jokic, the Joker, his flowers, man. Back-to-back MVPs. He's doing exactly what he's been doing for several years now. I think the case against him, Matt, though, is... And I think that the casual fan is going to look at this stat. The 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 first thing they look at is points per game, right? And he's averaging, I think, uh, uh, over 25 and a half points per game, which is good for 18th in the NBA. I don't know if 18 is going to like you know impress people. Obviously, the overwhelming number of the rest of his statistical you know counting numbers are absurd. Um, but when you see Giannis at uh, you know 30 plus, when you see Embiid leading the league at 33. Uh, Luca at 33, I think people are going to gravitate to that number first. But I mean, at the end of the day, this is a five-person race right now. And any of those guys can get hurt, whether it's a turn ankle or, you know, whatever the injury may be and causes them to miss a few weeks. And then it'll be down to four and then it'll be down to three. So you're right. Maybe Joker can just outlast these guys by playing 75 to 80 games. And that's what he's been doing the last few years anyway. So it's great value in my opinion. The Nuggets are winning, which is very important. And um, I think uh, he's done it. He's We've already seen this story, right? Uh, he might not be the most spectacular player. Uh, his numbers may not jump off the page for the casual fan, um, but he outlasts everyone and he wins the MVP at the end of the year. So part of it is also he plays at a really slow pace and that influences things as well. It actually is one of the reasons why Luka is so impressive because Luka plays at an even slower pace. Like per 100 possessions, Joker's averaging 37 points, 16 rebounds, 13 assists. As a comparison point, that's two more assists than than Doncic. Um, I'm sorry, it's about 1.5 more assists than Doncic and it's about five more rebounds. So all of like Luka's incredible statistical performance Joker in terms of the overall production across points, rebounds, assists, especially when we factor in shooting efficiency is so much higher. Uh, the joke with Joker, so to speak, that like, you know, Zach Lowe's made mention of this is he wins a lot of the analytic, the, the catch-all analytics, and that's happening again this season. I mentioned EPM. He's number one BPM tied with, with uh, Doncic, and he's number one in Raptor uh, over at 538. Like all of these advanced metrics are going to capture him as number one. And that works against him in some cases. Uh, I'll I'll give you like an example of a voter. Mike Wilbon is actively not going to vote for Joker because he's good in these metrics. Mm-hmm. Like there will be a pushback of, I don't think these metrics are indicative of what I value. And therefore, if you're good in them, it makes your case worse. If you think that's bad logic, you're right. But you if we're betting on it, we have to factor that into the overall total voting block. Um, ESPN straw poll came out on, on Friday. 
Um, as a admission, I was part of that that straw poll vote. Uh, I'm included in it by Tim Bontemps of ESPN, uh, based off of my longstanding coverage of the MVP race and my former status as a voter. Uh, my vote was one was Giannis, two was Steph, three was Luca, four was Tatum, five was uh, Joel Embiid. If I was asked today, it would be one Giannis, two Jokic, three Luca, four Tatum, five Embiid. That would be my list. I think probably that Embiid may have the best value right now from a what I think is sustainable because there's a lot of reasons to think the Nuggets are probably going to slide. Again, they are worse than their record indicates. The Sixers are better than their record indicates. Yep. And that combination is something um, to consider. But again, Joker, another phenomenal season, another incredible performance. And the reality is just that when he's on the floor, they whip ass, they win their minutes, they beat the opponent. If they can figure out the bench, Denver should be fine, but it's something to keep an eye on. Speaking of Jason Tatum, I, I tried to tell him, Albert. I, I, I you tried. Did. You did. I tried for weeks. I've been on this podcast and I've been on various appearances and I've been talking about, look, if you're buying the Celtics right now, you have to think that what they're doing is sustainable offensively. And at least in the short term, it hasn't been. Uh, the Celtics lost to the Orlando Magic on Friday. And then without Jason Tatum, lost to them again, both games in Boston. That to me was the part where I was like, oof. The Celtics have now lost four of five. Their singular win was an overtime victory in Los Angeles versus the Lakers when Anthony Davis missed two free throws to ice the game. Yep. So not a great stretch here for Boston. They're now 29th in offensive rating the past two weeks. Uh, Got to be honest, didn't expect for the Celtics to regress this hard all at once. Um, but I do think it's an indicator. Tatum is still the favorite uh, at, at, for MVP. Makes sense. You can't adjust it over a five-game sample. Uh, I will say that the, essentially a lot of the things that we talked about, the supporting players shooting, all these types of things, those are coming back down to earth. I don't think the Celtics are a bad team. I don't think the Celtics are a team that lost to the Magic and got trounced by the Clippers. Like They're better than what they've shown. But I do think the Celtics are closer to the rest of the pack than they are to that elite status that they were there for a couple of weeks. Well, I mean, if you just look at the raw record, they're no longer first place in the East yep. by percentage points, right? The Bucks now are in first place. The Bucks are getting healthier as we speak. And they play on Christmas Day. It's going to be a great barometer for both teams. I think it's a good situation for Boston to to go through some hardship right now. I think it galvanizes that team. We saw that last year where they came came off to a really, I guess, disappointing start, and then they just like turn it on at the at after New Year's. But with that being said, I I still think Tatum is justified as the number one uh, front runner for MVP. But I think it's a lot closer, like Matt mentioned. I think a lot of these guys, and I think Joker is actually closer than a lot of people want to admit. If you look at the plus minus, just raw numbers here, Jason Tatum has a number one plus minus in the league, um, but that's because they've had the best record for the longest time. Number two is Jokic. So he is definitely on his tail, uh, nipping at his heels. So definitely look into that. But I'm excited, man, for this uh, Christmas Day slate, especially that game, Bucks celtics Yeah, another game, another team that's on there that actually this year we don't have to be embarrassed by them being on there is the New York Knicks. Break up the Knicks! Winners of seven in a row. They've covered seven straight as well. 
look, the schedule has been favorable, but this is the point is like, you want them to cover teams when they should win and they should cover. You want them to be in prime opportunities to actually take care of business. Like I'm not expecting the Knicks to be better than expected. I wish I'm looking for the Knicks to be exactly as good as expected that just yeah. if they can get kind of get there. I talked about them as a potential uh, over team in the preseason. And we're kind of seeing the, that a little bit during the stretch. Uh, they did beat the Cavaliers. They'd be the Hawks at home, the Hornets on the road, the Kings at home. Kings are on a long East coast road trip, the bulls who are in full meltdown mode. And then they got to win versus the Pacers on Sunday had to scrape and, and claw that one out. They take on the warriors on Monday night. As we record this on Monday morning. Um, I, I guess my question for you is where are you at in terms of how to bet the Knicks nightly? Do you have like, a? Can, do we feel like we can not trust them in, in all <laughs> situations and all numbers? I, for instance, think that they're actually a little bit high against this warriors team that took care of business versus the Raptors without Steph. They're six and a half point favorites. Um, I believe I'm looking at this right now. They Let's play, they play Tuesday night, actually they play Tuesday. That's yeah. what I was looking at, but regardless, the Knicks have been more impressive. What's your take on the Knicks? Yeah. I'm, when it comes to, you know, betting, I'm, I'm, I'm just not the type of guy, Matt, that's going to bet a team that's super hot. I'm yeah. more of a buck the trend type of guy. Uh, but the Knicks, seven straight wins, very impressive. And we mentioned they're playing the Warriors without, without Steph Curry. Um, after that, they have Toronto, who is in a tailspin, and then Chicago is even worse of a tailspin. I think both of those teams need a significant move to to kind of save their season. But this winning streak for the Knicks conceivably can get to 10, 10 straight wins for the New York Knicks before they meet uh, Philly on, on Christmas Day. But um, it's a great... Like I said, I've said this many times in the past. It's good for the NBA when the Knicks are playing well and contending. Um, they've had some really good performances. And I think what's really um, changed for them, and I thought this was, I thought I didn't think this was ever going to happen this season because it seemed like Coach Thibodeau lost his team early on. But that defense, Matt, has really picked it up. They've held teams to under a hundred points and five, I believe, of, of the last seven wins here. So they can continue to do that for these next three games. I can see them winning 10 in a row. So I want to talk to you about, you know, the, the the you mentioned there, blind betting teams that are hot instead of going the other way. So this is kind of where I've come to on it. Um, when a team is on a streak, if the cap indicates based on the number or the spot or the matchup that I like that side – it's a reinforcement point. Mm. Uh, it's more a matter of if a team is like, if a team has not covered four in a row, you know, six of six of eight, eight of 10, if they're in a really bad ATS spot where I can tell that the market is not accurately reflecting where that team is, yeah. even if I, I like the number or the spot or the trend, that's a reason for me to go back the other way or, or just to stay away from it. Like that's kind of the, and this is kind of the, the other side of this. So let's say that my number tomorrow, like the warriors, which is probably pretty likely given their power rating. And it's hard to quantify Steph. It's just difficult to kind of quantify how good Steph Curry is, especially with the home road splits. Like it's so all over the place. If I like, I'm not saying I do. If I liked the warriors in this game, mm -hmm. the fact that the, that the Knicks have covered and they have won and covered seven straight is a reason for me not to bet it is just to say, I don't need to bet this game. Like, yeah, 
I show an edge on Golden State. If I was going to bet it, I would bet Golden State, but I don't need to bet it because I'm going against a team that right now is in its hot spot. What I have stopped doing is trying to be the guy that's like, but I think that comes back to earth tonight. I don't like being the one that is Raheem Palmer always mentions not trying to catch a falling knife, right? Yeah. I don't want to be the, I, I've learned that I don't ever want to be the, the guy that is betting against the trend. And then, you know, they're just because you know a team is going to lose or they're going to regress. Like I wasn't betting Celtics team total unders every game just because I knew that that wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Right. I waited and then I bet Orlando on Friday because I was like, I don't think that they've played well. And I like the number here. It was a reinforcement spot. That to me, I think is how you have to approach it. Do you take a different kind of look at it when you're trying to figure out when to bet on regression occurring? No, that's that's a great point that you make. I mean, every game at the end of the day is mutually exclusive, in my opinion. Um, you just have to look into that game and those numbers for that day. With that being said, that, that one of my personal rules, and there's there's no um, you know metrics or st- statistical backing to this. This is just my personal rule. If I had been riding the Knicks, let's say you know on this seven game winning streak or seven seven game covering streak here, if if I was on them for like five six of those games. I would have no issues writing them again on Tuesday night because as far as managing the bankroll, they've, they've won five bets for me. Right. So uh, I, I look at each team at each situation in that light. If I wasn't, and I, I haven't been because I haven't been writing the Knicks in these last seven games, I'm not going to start writing them yeah. out of nowhere. I'll have to see it's more of a prove it to me again, before I look into it and you know, you're going to lose those opportunities several times throughout the year, right? You're going to get teams that go hot. You're going to get teams that go really cold. And you'll ask yourself, man, I wish I was at the the beginning of this streak, but you just have to find the next one. And I think that's where um, I like handicapping because it's always a, it's always a loop. It's a wheel that never ends. I mean, like the number hasn't, I haven't bet the Knicks in the stretch. Like I have yeah, not been exactly. on them, right? Because I didn't show enough of an edge, right? I, I hadn't made, uh, the Bulls weren't, as much of a disaster at that point going in as kind of anticipated. Um, I know folks were on, like we talked about this last week on buckets, like the guys were taking Chicago and I was like, I leaned towards the Knicks in that game and I was talked off of it and the Knicks covered. And that's like, that doesn't, that's not me going like they were wrong and I should have bet it. I'm fine. Not having bet it. It's okay. There are enough games in the NBA season for you to get action on. You don't need to feel like you got to get in on all these kind of stretches. Like they played the Kings and were two and a half point favorites and I like the spot because the Kings are at the, on the end of an East Coast road trip and the Knicks have been playing a little bit better, but yeah. I didn't bet it because the power rating was like, no, the, Knicks, the Kings have been better this season. I can't bet on the team that is worse than my power rating as a favorite at home of more than a point, you know, I, I, just because they've been hot. So you, you have to kind of figure all these things out. It's, it's again, why I feel like, However you go about it, you got to figure out a way to get a number because you got to have a number for you to compare the spread to. I think otherwise in the NBA, you're betting just spots and it can be inconsistent and a little bit mad- maddening. Yeah, one, one thing, Matt, before we move on to the Bulls here, but props to the Knicks for, for winning seven straight. I also want to give props to the Magic. They've won six straight, yeah. 11 and 20 overall. So props to them. On pace for that over 27 and a half. We're back, <laughs> baby. Uh, we're going to skip the Bulls. The Bulls suck. They need to probably make a trade. Um, I will admit to people of this podcast, I am not going to recommend this bet. I bet it. I'm not going to recommend it. 
the win total dipped to 37 and a half and I bet the over a couple days ago. I don't regret it. I will. I I'm fine with that. I'm not going to buy back in again. Um, the NBA season is very long and you have stretches where you just don't play well. Yeah. And there is like Chicago fans are freaking out because they're Chicago fans. And it's possible this team is broken and never recovers and spirals into the lottery and they shut everybody down or trade everybody entirely possible. My feeling they're in a bad vibe. The thing about the NBA though, is if you have a veteran team like this and you don't like the, the, the front office is just like, we can't trade you. There's not, we can't get enough value. Like you were trading you at our lowest and we're not going to do that. You have nowhere to go. You're stuck with each other. So you have <laughs> nothing to do, but work through your problems and eventually play better. And that's kind of my argument is like, yeah, the bulls are fucking horrible right now. I don't think they're going to be horrible for the next five months. That's my argument for betting the bulls over again, not recommending that bet. I'm saying a thing that I bet that I'm not recommending. Um, I do want to talk about the year of the dog. All right. So NFL, it's been the year of the dog underdogs have been yep. super hot. It's why a bunch of the, of the, the really sharp betters, including folks at the action network, like Sunday six pack, which you can check out on the action network podcast has absolutely annihilated. And a lot of that's because they play a lot of dogs. The favorites with Simon Hunter and Chad Millman. Like they said the other day, like their starting point is dogs. Dogs yep. have been phenomenally profitable this season in the NFL. And guess what? In the NBA, we're seeing something kind of similar. I looked this up. So first I looked at teams over 500 versus teams under 500 since 2003. And it came to about 70% of the time, the, the team that was over 500 won straight up. I looked back to 2014-15 because I start there because that's the start of the Warriors run and that's like the modern three-point era. And it's the same number. It's 70% straight up versus team, teams over 500 versus teams under 500. Then I looked at since 2003 and I looked at just the first 41 games because these numbers are if those teams are over or under 500 at the time of the matchup, and not mm -hmm. at the end of the season. So, like, if you face the 0-1 Knicks in game two, it's technically an under uh, an under game. You're facing an under 500 opponent. Um, I looked at that, and that gets us to 68% of the time in the first 41 games, and that makes sense, right? Where there should be a little bit more variance. It should be a little bit more inconsistent. And what we see is 68% of the time. They also only cover 48% of the time in those first 41 games. Again, that kind of makes sense, Right. Favorites don't cover as often. We see a slight edge of the dogs in these kind of matchups because the market escalates the favorite status. That's what we expect. First 41 games, 68% of the time they win, 48% of the time they cover. This season, 56% of the time straight up. A drop from 68% of the time in the first 41 games to 56% this season straight up. And 48% against the spread to just 44% against the spread teams over 500 versus teams under 500. And we see this on a nightly basis, the Oklahoma city thunder without Shea Gilders, Alexander and Josh Giddy <laughs> run the Grizzlies off the floor, especially after jaw gets, gets ejected. Um, the Boston Celtics lose twice to the Orlando magic. The sun's lost to the rockets last weekend. It is not that these results are random, right? We don't look at the league and just go like, Nothing makes any sense. The, a lot of the teams we expected to be good are good. A lot of teams we expected to be great are eh. 
and most teams are pretty mid, and then there's a two off a, co- a couple of awful teams. Yeah. But I, I will just tell you, AC, I'm having a lot of success this season with like I had a good night on Sunday because I was just betting dogs straight up. If the Lakers took care of business, I would have been up a lot last night. Um, thanks for that, Lakers. Um, but it, just betting, I bet the Wolves straight up. I bet the Magic straight up on Friday. When I have an advantage on some of these numbers, especially if I'm getting plus 400, plus 300, plus 250, to me, you got to be factoring in a little bit into your cap the fact that if you cover, you're winning this season. And we're seeing dogs cover more often, so they're winning more often. That 44% rate of winning straight up as a team under 500 means there's up. pretty good value betting money line on a lot of these dogs. Yeah, I mean, I, there's two reactions that I have to that. So I agree with you, and I I personally am a underdog better myself, um, especially contrarian underdogs. With that being said, I think there's a couple reasons, and again, there's no you know, scientific evidence to back this up, but um, I think talent around the league is better. So the teams that are under 500 are not as bad talent-wise as in the past. Um, so any any given night, right, Jalen Green can go off for 40 or Paolo can go insane for the Magic. Someone like that can really um, elevate that team and, and potentially win the game outright. And then secondly, um, Matt's been tweeting about this on his page here but i think that the um when it comes to the the seriousness of these games especially in november and december as the season starts it's just not there in my opinion um as opposed to after christmas or after new year's right so uh, a lot of these big teams whether it's um getting people uh, sitting people down at the last minute or playing them even though they they don't want to play i just think that these first three months, it's extremely hard to handicap, especially if you're a favorites better. There's always going to be value here, in my opinion, in the first couple of months on the underdog because there's uh, less unknowns and you're going to get value, right? Like Matt said, if you're if you're hitting one or two plus two fifty money lines a week, um, you you should be up, especially if you just go 50-50 on your remaining bets, right? So I think uh, it's a good spot. I think though, Matt, and I, I do genuinely believe this, I think it will change and pivot after the New Year's when these teams take these games a lot more seriously. Yeah, I think it's a good point. I think there's also a correlational thing here that we should talk about with regards to that, which is early in the season, you have more energy. When you win a game, you're more encouraged by it if you're a bad team. And you feel like you have a chance. You feel like, yeah. no, 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 we, we're pretty good. Versus by the time that you get to the end of January and in February, you look at the at the standings and you're like, our season's over. We're 12 games under 500. We're bad. You're beaten yeah. down. The other teams that we know are good, that know that they're good because they have the talent and playoff experience, those teams are don't, they're not going to get discouraged. They're not going to be like, man, we're four games under 500. We're just not good sometimes, but very rarely. And most of the time they're like, all right, time to stop fucking around. Let's go, right? Yep. Going to kick off a, a run here and get ourselves back where we need to go. And pacing yourself for the regular season is absolutely part of it with it being too many goddamn games. And so we have this, this kind of opportunity, I think, early to bet on the uncertainty versus I'm not going to be betting as many dogs post-All-Star break 
I'm going to go the other way where like, I'm going to be laying 14 points in some of these nights where I'm just like, no, that team is dead. Like they're, they're over with. And this other team, like I have the number at 17 and they're at home and they've been playing well. Like I will lay those, those, those numbers. If my, if my process shows an edge, if it's a good spot or if there's a matchup problem or uh, if my number shows a significant edge or a combination of those things. So I agree with you that, and this is one of the reasons why we've talked about this on the show before. A lot of the smart betters bet less as the season goes on, especially late in the season, yep. right? Because you do also have, sometimes you have the opposite problem, which is you run into a little bit of uncertainty where one team is, is absolutely dreadful, but the other team is so unmotivated because they're 15 games over 500 and you get snake bit there. There's a sweet spot that we're entering into between the middle of December and the end of January that I think is where we have like a prime opportunity to find edge. And so it's, you know, make hay while the sun is up, so to speak. All right. As we do every week, we're going to do, if we had to bet the awards, I've already gone ahead and said that I bet Nikola Jokic as well as I made a couple of MVP bets over the weekend. You can check those out in the award-winning action network app. Uh, but if I had to bet right now, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say Jokic plus 900, number one EPM. Everyone knows how much I, I value that status correlative to how the voters look at things. And with where the rest of the market is at joker is the player whose team i think still has runway ahead of him they mm -hmm. can play better he is playing great and honestly i don't even know if joker's played all that awesome this year overall until the last couple of like that game last night was obviously incredible he can play better and he's still amazing there's a lot of runway here so for me joker plus 900 is really good value in part because not only because of the play and the team but I know that he's going to, I feel very confident he's going to play 72 plus games. So Joker for me is plus 900. If you had to bet right now, who'd you bet for MVP? Yeah, if I had to bet right now. So I think it's a five person race, right? Tatum, Giannis, Luca, Joker, and Embiid right now. Yeah. Uh, the longest odds out of those five would be Embiid. I think by default, that's who I would take because I already have positions on the other other three. And, and Joker, I'm probably going to jump into sometime this week or maybe after New Year's. Um, but Joel Embiid, again, he does everything for that team. Everyone else has been in and out of the lineup. He's been the one constant. And I think the Sixers are a lot better than people uh, make them out to be, especially from a record standpoint. I think they're going to get better as the season goes on. And Maxi should be coming back soon. So that is another, um, you know, added to their team. So I like Joel Embiid plus 1,100. My biggest position is still Luka, um, but I think uh, there's some value in Joel. Ooh, Joker just moved back to plus 1,000 at FanDuel. So 10 to 1 there uh, and beat 11 to 1. So we kind of shortened that value. I do like Embiid. I just, I feel like I'm going to bet on him and then he's going to miss 15 games. Yeah. Soreness. And knock on wood. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Yeah. Six man of the year. Man, AC, I got to credit you because you've been on the Malik Monk train since, I don't know. Like, I feel like you were talking about this <laughs> six weeks ago. Yeah. And, He's still plus 2,700. And I was looking at the numbers for the bench guys, which is pretty easy to ascertain. Uh, look at the last 15 games. He's one of the only guys that's played in the last 15 games off the bench. Last 15 games, he's averaging 17 points a game, which is right in that range that you want to be in. 48% from the field, 33% from three, but he's just he guns a lot of threes, so he's able to, to make up some of that. 91% from the line has been playing really well. This Kings team is going to be a good vibes team. Uh, I, I feel like Malik Monk at plus 2,700 is the best value right now. 
Not only that, but if you watch King's games, Matt, when he gets into the game as the six man, he becomes the number one option. And I I don't think it's even close. Like they run plays for him to get his shot, whether it's a three or a drive to the basket. So um, I think plus 2,700 is great for him. For me, is a, it's still Jordan Poole. He's now at plus 400, so four to one. Um, I think because a lot of other guys are catching up, but with Curry's injury, he just had a 40 spot last night or a couple of nights. I think it was last night against Toronto. His numbers are going to be uh, improving a lot in the in the next month or so. And if and when Steph comes back, Jordan Poole is going to go back onto the bench. So I still think he's going to have more games off the bench than as a starter. So I think it's great value for Jordan Poole right now. I honestly try to find a New York Nick here, right? Being the hottest team in the league, Matt. But there's just no value on any six man, no Grimes, nothing like that. Um, but potentially this next next um, award we're going to discuss has a Nick. Before we get there, if I told you that I could guarantee you, and I can't, but if I told you I could guarantee you that Christian Wood was not going to start at any point this for the rest of the season, would you bet Christian Wood? I, I I don't know. I'm just I'm just very very bearish when it comes to the Mavericks right now. Um, we talk about vibes all the time. Christian Wood at plus a thousand, so ten to one is still really good value. He's always going to have the numbers, um, but even when he doesn't, even if you can guarantee me, Matt, that he's going to always come off the bench this year, kid doesn't play him uh, like closing games, especially if it's like a high intensity game that they really want. Christian Wood is just riding the bench. So I don't know. It's it's tough. I, I would gun to my head. I would say no. I probably bet him just because like Jordan Clarkson didn't close games for the Jazz and he won, right? Jordan Crawford didn't close games for the Clippers and he won. I don't think closing is that important. I think the number, this is the problem. Um, the numbers with Wood are undeniable. They're great when he plays next to Luka. They just yep. they kick ass. They are. They're really good. Yeah. Jason Kidd clearly hates him. And I'll say this, there's a feeling around the league that he can be had. So mm -hmm. one of the concerns, if you're thinking about betting Christian Wood, is you need to think about, does he absolutely come off the bench in the next place that he gets traded? Because if he gets dealt this season, there's a possibility that he winds up on a rebuilding team. And if he winds up on a rebuilding team, he might start. Like, you can lose games with Christian Wood. I'm not, I, I'm not mistaken about Christian Wood being a winning or losing player. I think Christian Wood can be a winning player next to Luka Doncic. Yeah. I agree I think with that you. Christian Wood is a losing player in most situations. So <laughs> something to keep in mind there. Let's talk about most improved player because you've got a Knicks play. I'll go ahead and say this. Um, so the way I've, I really do look at, at most improved is I think it's a three-man race. I think it's it's Hallie, Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, I think it's Shea, Shea Gillis-Alexander. I think it's Laurie, Laurie Markinen. And you have to figure out which of those teams is going to tank and which of those teams is not. The Indiana Pacers are 15 and 16. They've slid. They're three and seven in their last 10. And they definitely are headed in the wrong direction. The Oklahoma City Thunder are 12 and 18. And they're like, they are closer to it than anybody else. And there is likely a point where Sam Presti, even though I think he doesn't necessarily want to do this, will probably be like, all right, it's probably time to go ahead and make the decision to start sitting, guys. Utah 17 and 15. They've stabilized the ship a little bit, got Mike Conley back. They're no longer on an East Coast road trip. So, if Utah can even plug along at 500, Laurie Market at plus 600 is the best on the board. Numbers are comparable to those other guys. Not as much of a risk of him getting shut down. Uh, so I'll take Laurie Market in plus 600 right now for most improved player. What's your favorite bet on the board? Yeah, for me, it's it's a, it's a weird discussion because we had a 
in my opinion, a clear winner last year who was Desmond Bain, but they gave it to John Morant. John Morant two years ago averaged um, 19 points and he went up to 27, which is a huge, huge increase there. But he was basically already an all-star. So with that in mind, I think Zion Williamson, who's been out of this world and the Pelicans are you know, in contention for first place in the West at plus 8,000 is really good value because although he was an all-star caliber player last year, you would expect him to continue what he was doing last year, hopefully play 75 to 80 games um, or 70 to 75 games and that team to continue winning. So if you're going to, you know, give John Morant from a star to superstar, the most improved, I think uh, Zion at plus 8,000 has a little bit of, of value there, but yeah, you're right. I was looking at the rest of the, uh, the players here. There's one New York Nick, Jalen Brunson, we mentioned him in in a previous podcast, but he has plus 10,000. Um, I think there's a little value there, but the numbers are just not going to add up to the rest of them. Because I do agree with you. It's a three-man race between Shea, Tyrese, and Lowry. But when we're talking about long shots, uh, Jalen Brunson should be part of the discussion. Yeah, I can't disagree with that. I just, I, I look at the numbers and the numbers don't really match up. It's hard to find a guy that really fits the profile of what we've seen. The closest yeah. one is Shea. Like, I just wish OKC could add some level, like just one player that could actually compete for a playoff berth. And then Shea is a runaway winner and all yeah. our Shea numbers cash. But um, I don't think they're going to do that because they are extremely patient. And that's, that's the issue that we're running into here. We are approaching a point where I think you have to start wondering which way the voters are going to go in terms of they can go hyper reward winning and that's Zion, right? Or they can go, okay, this is not a year where we have that kind of guy because Zion is a number one pick. We're going to go the other way. And we're going to say, you don't have to be on a good team. And if you don't have to be on a good team, then Tyrese Halliburton is definitely alive. So yeah. it's it's an interesting kind of conversation. I'll be fascinated to see where we're at on this market come the end of January. Uh, finally, Defensive Player of the Year. Uh, I will take OG Anobi, plus 1,200. He's been spectacular. Eye test checks out. Number one in defensive EPM. And to me, that's not necessarily a stat that I think is going to be highly correlative to the vote. This is going to be a messy award. I would not bet this right now. I think you got to wait. I think he's, you got to keep waiting. I don't mind your pick either. Who do you like for DPOI? Yeah, I think right now, Jaron Jackson, even though he only plays 25 minutes a game, only grabs six rebounds. But the amount of impact he has on the game, Matt, is um, not quantifiable in, in some respects, right? He's, he's going to have the awesome block numbers. He's going to have highlight level blocks and spectacular highlights, things like that. But... Um, the way that he influenced the game in those 25 minutes, the way that uh, teams or how bad teams shoot in the paint in those 25 minutes, I mean, it's it's out of this world. So I know Brooke Lopez is the best defender on the best defensive team, and I think he is worthy of the of a winner. But if you want to pick someone else, Jaron Jackson, I believe at plus 270 right now is pretty good value. The Memphis Grizzlies are, have risen up to fifth in defensive rating at dunks and threes. With Jaron Jackson Jr. on the floor, they are nine points better defensively. So Insane. the numbers are checking out there as well. I think I'm probably going to bet 
Jaron here in a little bit based off of AC's analysis. All right, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks for joining us, everybody, for the recap episode. We'll be back Tuesday with our usual Best Bets episode. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe. Our thanks to David Payne, our producer for AC Analytics Capper on Twitter and the Action Network app. I'm Matt Moore. We'll see you guys again next time. Thanks for joining us. And as always, let's get buckets. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.